This week, Griff and myself introduce a special guest to the Carrion crowd, premiere our second installment of My Favorite Monster, and answer some new listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the zone of truth. And we're back. Yep. Back together again. And again and again and again. And again. And it keeps going. And Grif- the years start coming and they don't stop coming. They don't stop coming. I, I, we just need to address it right away. The energy in this room is as low as it's ever been. I, I just thought there was like a, I don't know, like a sexual tension in the air. Uh, a little bit. It's the elephant in the room, really. I guess so. We'll address that in the next year of Zone of Truth, but <laughs> it's later in the day on a Sunday. It's been a long weekend for all of us, but we got a show to put on, man. Yeah. My parents came into town. Do anything fun? Uh, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we had, uh, we went to Wolf's Ridge. We enjoy that place a lot. Oh yeah. We smoked some meatloaf. It was, uh. It's pretty wild. Ooh. How did meatloaf turn pit? out? Oh, yeah. it was good. It was nice. Uh, had a good smoke ring on it. I was surprised. Wow. That's awesome. How long did you have to put it on there for? It's on like four hours. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. yeah you could whip that up pretty quick. That's not bad. As for me, I was out with your folks uh, Friday night at, at Wolf's Ridge and swung by pins. Um, took it pretty easy. And then yesterday I had a nice, uh, nice date next to the pool with Brooks and Emily that rolled right into a drunkenness quarterly. And uh, not doing great today. <laughs> it sounded like you guys had fun. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm certainly not the worst off in the room, though. You guys are looking pretty rough. Yeah, we had an evening. Yeah. Well, without any further ado, let's get this party started. There's a third person in the room with us. You may know him as Krusty Crust on our Discord, or have heard him mentioned as one of the members of our off pod runs of Dead Sons and Return of the Rune Lords. Please welcome to the show our good buddy Chris. Hello, hello. Hey, dude. Yo. How are you feeling today? I am right about there with you. Yeah, uh, not great. A little drained. A little drained. <laughs> a little drained. It yeah. took some con damage. Some con <laughs> drain. <laughs> Definitely did. Wisdom score is not the highest, so that's the yeah, that's, that's the root cause of that. Yeah. yeah. Chris, this has been a long time overdue. We're glad to have you on. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. This is great. What What are you drinking today, man? I am drinking water and mio because my liver is feeble and uh, cannot sustain more alcohol this weekend. That's just the, the short and short and sweet of it. Amazing. How Griff. about you guys? You guys have got some nice brews there. Sure do. Do you want to tell the fans what we're uh, drinking tonight, Griff? Yeah, we're drinking a Pulpit Rock Sugar Rush brought to us by our good buddy Jason, who was just on here last Zone of Truth. And it's an oat cream double IPA with citra, mosaic, oatmeal cream pies, and milk sugar. Ooh. We each got a pint of it here, so. Remember to open these things slow. They bubble. Yeah, I'm a little worried. Oh. Good God. That flew everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in my hair. Is this a, <laughs> is this a slurp zone or a no slurp zone? Yeah, we don't eat. 
Don't usually slurp on the zone of truth. Okay. It'll carry over eventually, I'm sure. Yeah, I think I have it's done it's been done maybe like about once. Um that was a very special occasion though, so Yeah, this isn't anything special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head there, Chris. Woo! Yeah. So, like I said, very, very long overdue. You know what else is long overdue? Me throwing on the Sirenscape. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. What are we listening to? We are listening to the subset Forest Relaxation from The Birds. Oh, no. Don't get this guy started on Birds. yeah. Oh, man. Uh, There's so much to talk about bird-related, but that's well, we'll save that for later. Maybe maybe we don't need to talk about it later. (laughs) Um... This sounds like something I could really align my chakras to. <laughs> Jesus. This is going to be a rough episode. Okay. Uh, Chris. Yeah. So you're on the zone of truth. A lot of people may have interacted with you on our Discord or have heard you as the uh, the live studio audience in the second day of the trial of the beast. Mm. Um, but I had prior knowledge of this. That was funny. <laughs> that was really good. Um but who are you, man? What are you, what are you doing here? So I am Chris. And you can see me on Discord as Krusty, Krusty Crustini. Definitely like an, a little ancillary dude floating around the podcast. I do a lot of 3D printing. I make minis for you guys every now and then. And uh, just uh, just a big old fan. Big old, big old listener. Yeah, Chris is the guy that made all of the minis of all of the characters on the show. So whenever we take pictures, that sick ass Matumbe mini, I think that's my favorite one that you've done. That's so good. I mean, it, it really helps the quality of the show and just our gaming in general, having a buddy who can crank out Hero Forge level minis on the regular. Yeah. You uh you have no idea what's coming too. I got all the secret work going on that the players don't know about, and uh when the some of these baddies finally drop, it's gonna be pretty cool. That's true. That was like when when we were about to have the Manicore fight, I think. Or maybe it's a phase spider. I think both of them, actually. He printed both of those, yeah. yeah. Printed them in advance, and, uh, and and as soon as combat starts, Griffin throws down this badass-looking big mini. Yeah. Good it makes times. it more spooky. It makes the encounters uh, a little uh, little more feel a little more risky. Well, I really enjoy it, too, because I think it just adds a level of... I think when you're just playing with like a token... It doesn't really immerse you in what the combat actually is. Like, I, I don't really enjoy throwing down minis that don't look anything like what you're fighting because it kind of ruins it to me. Yeah. So it's nice to have somebody uh, printing all our shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our catalog of, of minis certainly has been growing. It certainly heightens the game beyond, like, using, like, a quarter or a bottle cap for an NPC. Yeah. It really Lord imbi- knows it, we have plenty of bottle caps. <laughs> yeah, it really embiggens the role-playing quality of the game, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking about role-playing, Chris, you're relatively new to the TTRPG scene, is that correct? I am, yeah. I'm about maybe a little over a year into it right now. And what are you thinking? I absolutely love it. So I've only started playing with you guys you know, in the last year, but I've been consuming uh, RPG material and stuff for a lot longer, so... <laughs> Like maybe five years ago or so, I was hanging. In, I, I uh, copped on to some of the like the subreddits around uh, RPGs. So shout out like D and D Green Text. Shout out D and D Memes. Yep, always on TG. Um, and just there was a whole bunch of hilarious hijinks going on in a lot of these like stories. And I just I wanted to get a part of that. So when I stumbled on you guys already playing games, I knew for sure that that's something I was interested in so I was I was pretty eager to hop in there and play. Yeah, you were eager as hell. I remember <laughs> when when Haley was running Dead Sons and you were coming in, you wanted to come play and we had an opening so we were like hell yeah. 
he came in book two and I think mm-hmm. had read almost cover to cover the, <laughs> the Starfinder uh, Player's Handbook. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget. This is one of my favorite like uh, TTRPG stories from around the table. Just introducing Chris to the game. And he, I, he probably read that book in like two or three weeks. And... Um, we're getting ready to play and it's like okay there's a newbie at the table that's fine we'll we'll, you know if we have to hold his hand or a little bit no big deal and one of if not the first session that chris you were a part of it gets to your turn and you're and you were playing an envoy so you're like i'm gonna do this as my standard action as my move action i'm gonna do this and then i'm gonna do this other thing cool and everyone around the table was like oh he really thoroughly used the action economy effectively. <laughs> and I was like, shit, I've been playing this game for a year. And he's better at it than I am. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't say that. But I was, yeah, I was I was very, very happy to be able to play. And like the setup that you guys have here is crazy, too. So it's just uh, it's a wonderful introduction into the, the TTRPG world. I think it blew me away the most because you were using the correct terminology yeah. <laughs> immediately. And I was like, oh, God, here we go. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, I've had the pleasure of playing a couple different um, games with you guys, and each one of them is different. We play. We start out start out st- Starfinder with my my space bard half elf, and uh, Jesus, there's a bird encounter coming up here in a, a little bit. <laughs> Birds, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I've really enjoyed Pathfinder. Like, I think between the two, I think Pathfinder is definitely first edition. You know, more your speed. Yeah, the Return of the Rune Lords campaign that we got going on is crazy. Really like that, and I'm excited to play some second edition now too. So, yeah, I uh, I saw the excitement in your eyes and had to get you the core rulebook. Yeah, you purchased <laughs> when we were at Gen Con. Yeah, that's that's payback for all the minis we get and stuff. It's that, a fair trade. That is a pretty fair trade. Lord knows if you bought all those minis, they would cost you an arm and a leg. Yeah, those things get expensive. Well, they're. I mean, they're they're real bespoke minis, so uh, really cu- custom done, and yeah. I don't think I'd be able to pick them up anywhere. No, I don't think true. so either, yeah. And so, Chris, we've been talking a little bit about Dead Sons. I don't know if we want to do a full deep dive into these characters, because you played two separate characters, but could you just give me a little... Um, you know, a little teaser of, of who these people were, yeah. what they did, what classes... Um, just tell me a little bit about your characters. Yeah, Dead so Sons. first one I came into with Dead Sons was the Envoy that we talked about. He was this uh, half-elf named Burt Moma, um, and he was uh, played by Barack Obama, so he had the Obama voice. And yeah, somehow we booked Barack Obama. Yeah, you, you got him in there, and uh, he was very good at inspiring people. You know, He would go right up to people and just tell them that he loved them, and that was just enough for them to just boost their, their combat and their, their, their roles. And uh, he, he was a good guy to have, but... Um, this might be a little on the spot. Yeah. But I, can, can we hear the voice, Chris? Uh, go get him. Go get him. Uh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he parted ways with the party after uh, a particularly bad encounter. It kind of psyched him out. Um, and my character that came on the scene after that was a Shimmerine, which is like a crystal... A crystally humanoid. Uh, his name was Rombo. He's a pretty cool dude. Finished out the campaign with him there. And th- and this this particular um, this particular race had some really cool stuff, right? Yeah, it was crazy. So first off, they emit light normally, and you, as a I think a free action or something, you you're able to change the amount of light they emit. They've got an arm that transforms into a crystal lance and can like extend. So it's like a I forget if it was a reach thing or something. But yeah, you, you did. Could, you had ten feet of reach. Ten with feet it. of reach like with your, your, your go arm. gadget arm spike. Yeah, that was crazy. 
I think the cool thing about Starfinder is that you have a little more room to do those crazy races and have some pretty cool mechanics come from them. But that's a that's a good dude. Yeah, yeah. and you actually played a playtest character, right? It was the biohacker. I did. I did do that. That was the class he was in. Yeah. So he was uh, mixing up serums and injecting his teammates and stuff with uh, with that. Sometimes uh, willingly, sometimes uh, without consent, but uh, always to great effect, I'd say. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Some of the stuff that you could do with that. I was I was pleasantly surprised by playing with the biohacker. Yeah. Great support. Like, I think the best thing was the whole, like, uh, the fire vulnerability or, like, the energy vulnerability he could give to enemies. That was, uh, I used that a lot, but. Yeah, that was uh, particularly effective where we have a, a Solarian that's, you know, doing his, his supernovas yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And then my character had a giant laser artillery cannon, which is doing fire damage, too. So if you make a, a, a an enemy that's not normally vulnerable to fire, vulnerable to fire. Now you've got two characters that are just putting up insane damage. Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was a crazy time. Yeah. So that's your Starfinder. Um, and then I think one of my favorite characters now, my first one in Return of the Ruin Lords, first time playing Pathfinder, was uh, Marco Bandini, the, uh, the swashbuckler. And so tell me about you, who this character is, where he comes from. And I know he was very close to one Kyron. Yeah. Has Kyron already been uh, discussed? We did on, on my episode. We okay. talked about Kyron. So people are fairly familiar. The Gloomblade uh, half-oni. Yep. Half um, yeah. So when Griffin and I were building our characters for this session, um, I knew I wanted to play a melee character, and I was looking at Swashbuckler. But the thing I noticed is that they crit a whole bunch. You know, it's, there's a crit fishing build basically that you have, but they don't do a lot. They don't get to capitalize on that because a lot of their stuff is precision damage and doesn't get multiplied. So I found this little gimmick strategy um, using the butterfly. Uh, yeah, the butterfly sting. Butterfly sting feet. So whenever you crit. You have a. You're able to try to pass it off to one of your one of your allies so that they can take that critical. So when we built we built them together, thinking that you would have this this fighter class doing shitloads of damage with a, like a scythe or an axe or whatever. And the just, side, yeah, because yeah, he could he could change his weapon to be whatever we wanted. Yeah, as a swift action. So if you passed it to me, I could use a scythe four times crit and hit with it, or the butchering axe with the. 3d6 of damage normally multiplying that by three is pretty beefy as well yeah so overall on marco like he was uh i i kind of built him thinking he was gonna be like a half zorro half like very british posh person so definitely you know swashbuckler he's got a lot of charisma in there and everything and so we had this whole plan with kyron going in there and then like I forget at what level it was. You know, I think it was fifth. Fifth level, yeah, fifth level. Uh, Kyron gets yeeted out of existence by <laughs> this giant fish. That it's not a. Um, it wasn't an event um, that uh, has a lot of controversy around it. You know, it definitely not big old big old fish coming out of nowhere. But it happened, and then you left Marco here holding on to these feats that aren't really good for anything anymore now because your main your main damage dealer is out of the party. Um, so he's currently kind of retraining some feats now. He's uh, he's going into more of like a step up and strike type thing, but uh, also really suffering some wisdom uh, drain right now too. Had a horrible encounter with a chaos beast that took him down yeah. to one wisdom and left him uh, 
left him transfigured for a couple sessions. Oh yeah, you yeah. were a chaos beast yeah. for a couple of sessions. Yeah, tell 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 the listeners here all about that. So how did Tim set that up? And uh, tell us about you know showing up to sessions and not being able to play for about yeah. a month. So it all started when we walked into the room. That's like the, the the number one place where you go wrong is when your party walks into a room. Like mm-hmm. bad things happen as soon as that at happens. the very beginning of a dungeon. Yes. So there was a a statue or a stat this creature that had this gem of some sort in its head, and Marco failed his will save upon looking at this thing, went right over to it, and activated it or, it, you, it or something. You pulled the gem out of it. Yeah, I pulled the gem out, head. and uh, the the thing that was the chaos beast became the 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 activated beast, and I think. Uh, I think hit me with a claw or something and I had to make a save that I failed and mm-hmm. I was, I don't know if you'd consider it a disease, but I became, it was curse. It I was, think it, curse. we had to remove yeah. curse on you. I became the chaos beast over time, which uh, was unfortunate. When, and, when, you, when you were walking up there, uh, had failed the will save, the rest of us around the party rolled like sense motive checks to see if like, Hey, he's walking up to this statue that has a glowing forehead and he's reaching for it. Like, why is he doing that? Yeah. And we all failed. So, like, as players, we know it's going to be really bad really soon. But our characters were just like, I don't know. Yeah. We're just watching this train wreck in slow motion. And Marco doesn't have goodwill to begin with. There was an earlier time when he uh, gave away a major artifact to a uh, another character because he failed his will save. You know, there's some horrible shit there. To be but fair, she was a mesmerist. So This is true. And pretty beefy uh, save you would have had to make. That is very true. But yeah, after he became a chaos beast, the party had took. I'm assuming you guys derived some pleasure in beating me unconscious and stuffing me into a bag for a second. That session. was fun. Yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Yeah, so that I'm just hitting you with blunt arrows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, so he was in a bag for a couple sessions, um, experiencing the maelstrom plane, which is where that chaos beast comes from. And then eventually the party gets to the level where they can, you know, remove the curse. But he still took a whole bunch of drain during the encounter that he's still suffering from. And so right now, Mar- we are still in the midst of this dungeon that we've been in a long time. Really no end in sight. No way to go back and get you healed. And you're playing a character with one wisdom. Yes. Tell so, me about that. So we, uh, the last last session we had, we got, we got a little bit of a taste of that because... At one wisdom, and this might not be entirely by the rules, but the way we're playing it is that the character is only capable of grasping a single thought or 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 uh, a command given to him by someone else, and mm. can't, is confused by most other things. So we were in an encounter uh, later in the dungeon fighting. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but um, I was I'm about to talk about yeah, it. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's the thing. Okay, the worm the yeah, walls. yeah, yeah. Um, and so he was told, "Hey, stay here. And if you have any, if if you can do any range stuff, do range stuff." And so he took that to mean take your swords out and throw your swords at the creature, which technically is ranged. Worked yeah. exquisitely from sixty feet away. Yeah, um, several range increments and no success. Oh, weirdly, weirdly, no success. No, I, 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 I couldn't see that one coming at all. Don't know what else I expected. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's a. That's a taste of where he's at right now. I hope he gets better. I really like that character. Yeah, I, I mean, really back to front in this campaign, nobody has had a shittier time. I guess with the exception of Kyron literally dying. Um, nobody has literally had, dying. <laughs> nobody has had a shittier time than Marco. I, you've been cursed. You've been diseased more than once. 
You've been turned into a chaos beast. You've been stuffed into a bag and pummeled into oblivion. Now you can barely handle rational thoughts. That's a pretty harrowing um, baptism by fire. Yes. <laughs> Pathfinder, Pathfinder 1E character. Yeah. Yeah, jeez, yes. Thinking, reflecting back on it now, all this stuff that's happened, yeah. Uh, it builds character, that's for one <laughs> thing. <character>. And <laughs> as I argue with the GM a little bit, it should build extra experience. Tell me more about that. I just want more experience. I just want to oh. level up faster. That's yeah. it. Tell me about the uh, the centipede experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So this was a very well thought out strategy that um, I had and implemented, but it was just hand waved away, which I argue is a travesty. So technically, if, if, if you go out and Google house centipedes in Pathfinder, they are a CR 1 eighth character. And are sold in some cities. So I think we were in Magnamar, and I said, hey, I'm going to go buy a bag of 100 of these centipedes, and I'm going to step all over the bag and kill them <laughs> and reap the experience that I get from that. I'll level up three levels in the course of a day because they're cheap. And that didn't fly. I don't know why. It seems like when you build a world, Tim, if you're out there listening, our GM, you should be able to partake in all of the all of the pleasures and the mechanics of that world mechanically tim was right though because you don't gain experience from stuff that's what five levels below you uh i think that is correct i know i know there's a rule i'm not sure exactly how many i think you're correct with five well i've sent several emails to the paizo developers to try to get that fixed so i haven't heard back yet but I'm, i'm waiting oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure jason bowman's all over it I mean, that's probably going to be fixed the day after this episode drops. Yeah. <laughs> Pathfinder 2.5. <laughs> Fix the house centipede problem. Sorry, we need to recall all the 2E rulebooks. <laughs> Major update needs to go in. Yeah, I have a lot of updates that I'm working on for 2E. We don't have to talk about them now. I don't want to talk about... The pants gap? The pants no, stop, gap. stop, stop. Didn't you, didn't you tell one of the Paizo developers at Gen Con? Gen Con yeah, this? I talked to him about it. Um, and never seen Emily and myself look more uncomfortable in a conversation <laughs> with a human being. He actually directed me to the art director so that we could start. I could talk to her and pitch her the idea of having more um, character art with pantsless characters in the core rulebook or the Lost Lost World, oh, uh, the Lost, Lost Omens World Guide World or whatever. Guide. Yeah, yeah, so I think that is in the works. Um, but uh, I think I was also came very close to being asked to leave by security. <laughs> Uh, I don't blame right, what's them. What's the pants gap? So I did hint about this a little bit in Drunken Discordly, but in between 1E and 2E, there was another gap event like there is between Pathfinder and Starfinder. But this one is different, and I won't I won't spoil it for anyone, but it only lasted for a brief maybe 10 minutes to an hour or so, and everyone comes out of it without, most most people without pants, and the knowledge of what pants even were. So pants, and if you'll notice in the 2E rulebook, pants are not an actual item. Like they're not like at a, on the, in the equipment guides at all. So this, is, this can be canon. Um, and the whole, the whole shtick is that um, pants are now extremely valuable and coveted and people will kill other people to get pants because they're this crazy alien artifact that no one knows about. The only ones in existence are from those characters who, during that span of the gap, were either jaunting around some other plane other than the material plane, or were able to keep their pants via some other type of magic. This is the most excited I've ever seen you. 
You're passionate about yeah, this. I am 100 pages into rewriting the book to include this. So I have a saved copy that I'm editing right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm sure th- I'm, I'm sure the listeners are going to want want to read that whenever yes. you're whenever you're ready. That's that's prime Patreon content. <laughs> <laughs> Pathfinder 2.5 baby. <laughs> the pants gap. That's its own uh that's its own player companion. <laughs> yeah. All about the pants gap. Does Yo. that make Starfinder like would it be canon that there's no pants in Starfinder then? Because I don't know. The future? I, I don't know. There's another gap, so you could get away with doing whatever and just kind of rewriting it in the actual gap. So um, maybe that's what caused the second gap is when the pants came back. That is that's a great idea that I need to write down. And they had to sacrifice Galarian to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, boy. See you, Toreg. Thanks for dying for our pants. Yeah. So if you're listening to this episode and you are an artist. Or, or create fan art in some way, please start sending the podcast uh, character art without pants. It's important. Uh, do you understand like that there's a fair amount of people listening that don't play Pathfinder and are listening for the story or because they like us as people and they're so confused right now? I hope that the more they listen, the more they, they're able to, to clear up their confusion and realize what actually happened. I just, I'm just trying to tell people about the truth, you know. The truth is I'm out I'm trying there. to spread the word. So, I apologize for tr- running, this, running this, uh, this episode off the rails. Let's get it back on the rails. We can talk about more about the pants gap later. <laughs> um, but now that we've kind of talked about Marco Bandini and all of his trials and travesties and the difficulties he's had, um, most recently we've discussed you throwing swords at a worm that walks. Cue the drop, whoever's editing this shit, because we're going into my favorite monster. It's my favorite monster. All right. Woo! All right. So... We're talking about the worm that walks. Now, the three of us were texting earlier this week trying to figure out what monster we wanted to do. Kicked around a couple suggestions, nothing that really blew me away. And then I believe Griffin shot this one over and I took a look at it. And right off the rip, I was like, okay, we could make this work. But this 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 monster is more of a template. But then I got really interested and started and got directed to a um some HP Lovecraft inspired material that we'll talk about in a little bit. Then I dived into the worm that walks trope in pop culture and I was sold. It has its own trope folks. It does. This is wild. So um, does, do one of you guys want to explain to the listeners what a worm that walks is? And I actually have the, in, in our show the SRD notes, description. Yes. Yeah. You want to do that Griff? I can give, I can give him that. So when a powerful spellcaster. With a strong personality, a lust for life, and a remorselessly evil soul dies and is buried in a graveyard infused with eldritch magic, a strange phenomenon sometimes occurs. The flesh of the decaying body fats and instructs the very worms that gnaw, and these grave worms quicken, not only on corruption, but upon the spellcaster's memories and magical power. The spellcaster's very soul is consumed in this vile process, only to be split apart to inhabit each of the individual chewing worms in so many fragments. The result is a hideous hive mind of slithering life, known as a worm that walks, a mass of worms that clings to the vague shape of the body that granted it this new existence, and can wield the powers and magic the spellcaster had in life. 
a worm that walks retains memories of its life as a spellcaster before its death, but it's not undead. It's a hideous new form of undulant life. Undulant life. Oh, man. That's a, that's a descriptor. That is a descriptor. So These things are fucking nasty. How nasty are they? How nasty are they? I mean, they're... It's just... We'll get into it when we talk about how you run one of these, but... A swarm with all the powers of usually a very high-level spellcaster is Danger Town. Absolutely, yeah. You may as well call up Kenny Loggins, because when you're fighting one of these, you're in the fucking danger zone. I don't have a whole bunch of experience, you know, with... You know, because I'm still fairly new, but... A lot of times in the parties, like it seems like swarms are not something that people are generally prepared for, especially you know in, in certain levels. And yet, everything about this is dangerous. Yeah, you take the danger of a swarm and then add to it and make it this like thing that's throwing fucking fireballs at you and stuff. And it's it's a no fun zone. It's so cool because unlike our last um, our last episode where we talked about the griffin and the griffin is a CR four creature. The worm that walks is a template you can throw on anything. So you could have like, you shouldn't do this, but you could have like a level one spellcaster who died and got taken over and is now just a walking mass of worms that can cast spells and has like crazy regenerative powers. Or you could throw this template on like a level 20 wizard and have like a super badass spellcaster that's insanely hard to kill. You could throw this on an adult dragon. They that's are what I want to see. They are spellcasters. And that is horrifying. That yeah, absolutely nightmare fuel right there. I wonder if it can fly. I think it still can, according to the template. But I just the logistics of that worry me. A mass of worms in the shape of a dragon flying. Well, actually, um, I guess I guess that, that that's an that brings us to an interesting point here. You could flavor that a different way. So I was reading about this template, and it's not although it's called the worm that walks. It's not restricted to just worms. By the text of the PFSRD description, it sounds like that. But um, there are, although not mechanically different, um, there are flavorfully different versions. Um, One of them was army ants. Another was cockroaches. Another was wasps. And another one was locusts that they had. So this is how I get my centipede stick to work. It has to be with this template. Make it a worm that walks. Yes. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Good. And then you just have to kill all the centipedes that now can cast spells. It makes it slightly harder. <laughs> <laughs> but what what that effectively means is that if you wanted to make that that black dragon or the, the, the adult dragon as a worm that walks, maybe don't make him a worm. Make him locusts or wasps. Oh, fucking oh. wasp swarm? Yeah. Oh. That, is, that is a great idea. Just the, the low hum of... Tens of thousands of wasps. Oh no! Coalescing into the shape of a dragon. That's amazing. So, do you guys want to know where um, the concept, of, or at least where people think the concept of a worm that walks comes from? Yes, please. All right. So, um, on my research, I kind of pinpointed it back to H.P. Lovecraft's um, short story. It's less than 3,000 words, I believe, called The Festival. And it's not one that he was even really proud of. Back in the day, H.P. Lovecraft took a trip to Marblehead, Massachusetts. And that town, for whatever reason, became the 
center of a lot of different uh, or a lot of his different works. One of them was the festival. In this story, he has a lead character called Randolph Carter. This person um, basically is like an idealized version of himself, and it kind of parallels H.P. Lovecraft's visit to this town. This guy shows up. He had a rel- He you know came from a family that had relatives in uh, Marblehead, now Kingsport, the fictionalized version of Marblehead, and he goes to visit one of his elderly relatives. And he visits this guy and is left alone in this guy's house for a little while and starts reading through some of these old books. And one of them is the Necronomicon. And so he reads this passage that I'll get to in a little bit, um, but it really creeps him out. And later at night, his elderly relative asks him to join in this ceremony. So he, uh, this, this, this Carter guy is let out into the streets and like a big mass of people get together and they all walk towards the church in town and he's getting like bumped and jostled between folks. And when he bumps into people, when he bumps into people, their like flesh is kind of soft. Like he doesn't bounce off them. (laughs) It kind of sinks into him a little bit. Yeah. Um, Thanks. I hate it. And they take him into this crypt and there's crypt has a, has a river flowing through it. Um, Basically, and then at, at one point he starts getting freaked out because this ritual starts and he rips off a mask of one of the people and sees something really disgusting behind it. It kind of drives him mad. He jumps into the river and ends up waking up in a hospital. And that's basically the end of the story. Um, but the last thing that H.P. Lovecraft leaves the listener with or the reader with is the guy remembers one passage from the Necronomicon. And I'm going to read that for you guys right now. So the passage that um, Randolph Carter remembers is curse the ground where dead thoughts live new and oddly bodied and evil. The mind that is held by no head wisely did Iben Shoshebo say that happy is the tomb where no wizard have lain and happy the town at night whose wizards are all ashes for it is of old rumor that the soul of the devil brought hastes not from his carnal clay, but fats and instructs the very worm that gnaws till out of corruption, horrid life springs and the dull scavengers of earth wax craftily to vex it and swell monstrous to plague it. Great holes secretly are digged where earth's pores ought to suffice and things that have learned to walk that and things have learned to walk that ought to crawl. So that's the thing that he remembers. And that may, that leads the reader to believe that when he ripped off the mask that um, from the person underground in the crypt, that he just saw a mass of worms that had consumed a body. Creepy. Yeah. One of the, one of the things I really like about specifically this type of horror is the fact that you never, oftentimes you're not actually confronted immediately with the monster itself, but you're, you're sort of, you, you, you beat around the, the 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 visage of it or whatever you know it's not presented directly to you but it's you you get these clues and hints about what it is and that's almost worse than knowing like seeing it directly and knowing yeah just imagine bumping into some dude walking next to you and you just kind of like god squelch in for a second Uh, that's really gross i don't like it yeah great origin though that's yeah yeah it's really cool and um and so, and in my in my in my reading of this, um, I got directed to a website called tvtropes.org, which is becoming my new favorite website. 
because it took the worm that walks, it explained where it came from, it explained what it is. Effectively, it's just a trope in pop culture where a big bad guy is made up of like a swarm of vermin. And then it will it cites ev- like every instance in pop culture of this. And I pulled out some of my notable favorites. Um, first and foremost, the hunters from the Halo series. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Halo all that much, but the big bad guy hunters, they're these giant hulking armored beasts, um, are actually an amalgamation of worms. And so when you shoot them, worms pop out. Yeah, really gross. Um, They talked about, they referenced the bug demon and Constantine, um, HP Lovecraft's own Dunwich horror. It was kind of implied that the Dunwich horror, when it became visible had a had a physiology similar to a worm that walks the Vashta Narada from Doctor Who Oogie Boogie from Nightmare Before Christmas One Million Ants from Rick and Morty and my favorite entry on this list which I don't know if it really counts but the, uh, I'm going to read this really quick the trope is inverted in the human centipede there you have a large borderline <laughs> oh. insectoid made up of three humans god damn it <laughs> the humans that crawl <laughs> <laughs> The humans that crawl when they should walk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. I really like the one million ants thing. I think that's the true origin. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's. I mean, the variant is there. You can you can make one million ants in Pathfinder. Yeah. All you got to do is apply the template. Playing playing something with this template as a GM, my strategy would be, especially with the worm that walks, is have this guy spend some time cutting up the individual worms that comprise them in half because then you have the both both ends regenerate and you've got two new worms you spend a couple days doing that you start out as a medium creature maybe you're gigantic after a couple days and then you're ready to crush an entire party or or you effectively (laughs) clone yourself yeah honestly that's that seems like a valid thing unless it's like a one consciousness thing going Mm. on there whatever but yeah that's well it is one consciousness but i think split into multiple entities yeah that's I don't dangerous. see why not. I don't see why not. I don't see why not either. Makes uh, me think that they'd be really hard to kill. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things I explained on that website too, that like the trope is because it makes the hero or the people fighting the worm that walk change their strategy. It, you know, people that normally punch and slash and fire bullets at things. Those, all those, techni- those techniques are, are ineffective now because you need to like, crush the entire thing or like light it on fire or something it's a very different way to deal with your bad guy changes up the formula a little bit Mm -hmm. craft a very large ant trap or trap of some sort (laughs) oh slather a trap in honey yeah (laughs) that's that's how Haley got you right Griff (laughs) (laughs) slather that trap in honey and the worm that walks is coming All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the worm that walks in Pathfinder. Um, Griffin, do you want to lead the charge on this one? Yeah, I could do that. Sure. So the way that the worm that walks works is that it's a plus two CR template to apply to basically any spellcaster. So you can apply it to any creature that casts spells, put this template on it, it gets a slew of new abilities, Uh, becomes much more than a squishy caster and actually becomes pretty difficult to deal with. So you basically need to start out with any spellcaster and they need to be evil. It, when you apply the template, it actually changes the type to vermin. 
so the creature type so um things that are things like when we dealt with it my inquisitor had bane and you gotta mix it up because it's like a spellcaster casting at you if you don't make that knowledge check to know that you actually need to target vermin with your bane you might end up wasting a round of bane or something because it's now in essence a swarm they can pretty much be any size they are pretty interesting because it it gives them dark vision and blind sight this template so it makes them more perceptive the ac actually gets like a wisdom bonus kind of like a monk would which is pretty cool especially if you were going to use like like an evil cleric or something that was a spellcaster that probably had a high wisdom score and turn them into a worm that walks it almost gives them monk like unarmored armor that's a big buff yeah they have dr dr everything and what is that dr it's fucking 15 dude unbelievable unreal and they get regeneration based off of their hit dice so i think the one we fought was a 10 hit die worm that walks Mm -hmm. that we just fought in return of the room lords and regeneration 10 dr 15 that you really can't bypass with much especially you know we're level seven so there's not there's not many ways to deal with that and you hit it maybe do 30 points of damage 15 of that gets through and then it regenerates 10 of it by the end of the turn this You're, is so nasty. It's it's extremely nasty. You got to pray that you're chipping away because at, at that point, Brooks, who plays our, he's a war priest, but he's kind of a monk. Like, couldn't do anything to it. He couldn't overcome the dr because he's hitting it with multiple punches, and he doesn't have, um, I don't know, the melee version of like cluster shot that yes that uh adds up all of your damage to bypass DR. He doesn't have that, so... He was hitting. He was doing great damage. It just... None of it mattered. None of it mattered. The only way we got out of that was because I have an oath bow. My character has an oath bow. So he swore the thing as his enemy for the day and got a... The oath bow becomes a plus five weapon, which can overcome the DR then. But if we didn't have that, I, I we really weren't doing any damage yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. The only saving grace, I think, is that because it has to be applied to a spellcaster, their HP is the hit, the hit points are lower just naturally. So that's the only thing you've got going for you. But the rest of it is just pure nastiness. It's funny you should mention that, Chris, because the Worm That Walks template, when applied to a spellcaster with the squishy D6 hit die, gets upgraded to a D8. Who designed this? I, we, we have words to say. <laughs> we were When we were at Wolf's Ridge Friday night, um, I was chatting with Chris a little bit about the upcoming episode. Like, hey, you know, we're, we're doing this Friday. You all good to go? Like, um, And we were just kind of shooting the shit about, you know, some of the things we were going to be talking about. And one, and one of the things I said was, I'm, I'm not convinced that this is a plus two to a CR. Like, it feels like it should be higher. It really it does. It feels like it should be higher than a plus two. Yeah. It's very strong. I mean, it... The creature gains a slam attack based on its hit die, which then gets this... It's basically like a free grab attempt, which can then apply 
the the free swarm damage to you uh, because it is it's still kind of like a swarm and and that brings me to my other point with this thing which is it's a little bit different it can be targeted by single target spells they don't usually work as well but you can target it with a mind affecting spell because they all act as one entity for that purpose okay but single target spells like disintegrate don't work against it it would disintegrate one worm <laughs> and <laughs> and so much like a swarm it's got like for for our party playing against it we don't have any blasty arcane casters which you almost need another caster to overcome this thing because you can fireball it then and the damage goes through but we didn't have that and so this thing is nearly impossible to damage in the first place yeah you see like you either need that or you need one million disintegrate spe- uh, spell slots yeah, prepared all of them <laughs> and then cast them at a standard action once around for one million rounds so what what I really think is great about this template is it allows you to have a big bad caster that isn't necessarily going to be super squishy. And that can be a really dangerous thing for a lot of parties that can't overcome the kind of stuff, the kind of defenses and resistances that a worm that walks has. I think you have a lot of customizability in what you choose as the base. I think I would generally do a cleric because I think that wisdom bonus is super rad. It's going to be, and it's going to be big. Like if you're channeling negative energy and shit and burst damaging everybody. I I also really particularly like the, just the flavor of it in general. I think you drop this into your home brew or add it to a, to an AP and you really ratchet up the horror this thing is really disgusting. I know we talked about the roots of it in real life uh, earlier, but this thing is gross. And there's so much RP potential for learning about what could make a caster or, or a wizard or cleric so evil that even the worms that ate them turned evil. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I just think it's nuts that it's not undead. You always think of it like it's it's an undead creature. Mm-hmm. I know it's just an amalgamation of living creatures that gain the sentience of whatever they ate. I'm really interested to see what other experiences people have had with this. So if you're listening to this at all and you've ever played with this template before, your party's experienced this, like hop in our discord once this episode drops and let people know in the, like talk to us about what you, how, how you took this down, like how you fought this. Cause this is such a huge roadblock for some parties. I, I just I, I see a lot of interesting encounters being generated just by this one template. Well, I I fought two, and I think you guys have each fought two. Yeah, right. Yep. And the first time we dealt with it, we didn't have any means to harm it either. Was it you, Chris, that had the had the like whip trip build? Yeah, and I I'm still not even convinced that we we ended up diffusing the situation by I actually rolled high enough to trip it with the whip. And it was just something in that that particular, um, ki- like the the particular enemy that when they are like thrown off balance or something, they have to start. They, they mechanically they start fleeing, and I, I still really don't think that if without that being there, that we would have been able to handle it. Still, no, it it has what's called discorporate, which is what I think when Haley ran it against us is what she 
used when it fell on the ground, where it basically, it becomes a swarm, like a regular swarm. Hmm. It's, it's interesting when I was, when I was doing a little bit of research on it, there are a lot of notable worms that walk in Ustalov. Yes, there are. There are. Particularly, uh, there's one in the Shutterwood that sounds pretty nasty, the Lurker of the Woods. And they're like a, they're a level 11 sorceress that became this worm. Did the Bestiary 2 come out before or after Carrion Crown? I think before. Damn it. Because that's what this, I think that's what this comes from. Yeah. So this might, this could pop up in Carrion Crown. Cool. Good to know. (laughs) Who knows? Start uh, start stocking up on all the the weapons and supplies you guys need. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's buy a bunch of uh, flasks of Alchemist Fire. (laughs) (laughs) Or just pick them up from the uh, Alchemist shop that we're in. I would like to buy a whole arcane spellcaster, please. <laughs> what one arcane caster, please? <laughs> well, when you wipe the party, we'll all come back as arcane spellcasters. We'll be oh, fine. No. Yep. Everybody picked the same thing. Shit. <laughs> We're all wizards. That'd be great. Party flies in on brooms. <laughs> Everybody chooses a British accent. Honestly, if everyone flew around on brooms, that would be pretty on point for us. That'd be pretty cool. I would be into it. But Griff, but Chris, it's getting a little late in this episode, and people are asking us questions, and I want to give them answers. What do they want to know? What could they possibly want to know? Fools. I've got some questions for you. Answer them, you piece of poo. They want to know some things, so here we go. Our first question comes from a good friend of ours, actually. Um, This is Emily from the Southern Tom Foolery Podcast. Great against the Aeon Throne run. Those guys are phenomenal, and we love them. She says, as a nerd working in the museum world, I've been fortunate enough to be able to join some of my personal interests, random nerd shit, with professional interests, random museum shit. Have any of the HLP crew ever had these kinds of crossover opportunities in their lives? And if not, what are some ways that you might try and integrate a bit of gaming slash nerdy goodness into the work life? That's a good I one. Actually, I very recently got to uh, mix the two. Tell me about that. We so the the folks at work found out that I play TTRPGs, that I have this podcast, etc., and have been begging me and begging me to run them through something. None of them have any experience with TTRPGs at all. So it's me. We we go to a bar. We go to a bar after work. We skip out of work a little bit early, go to a bar, and I actually ran it through Kids on Bikes because I thought it would be a little easier for them to grasp as their first experience. So we're at this bar, me... Four TTRPG complete newbies, all my coworkers, um, all female. So I ran us through dads on mowers and had them all create a dad that was their character. Like their first tabletop character was a dad. And they made some phenomenal characters that were hilarious. And I think that was really fun because... It gives the folks that you work with a little bit more insight into, you know, your hobby. And I think they understood after that that it isn't isn't necessarily a nerdy thing. It's something that's fun that you could do at a bar or something. 
uh, we we had like a corner booth and we played for four hours and it was a good time that sounds like a great introduction to rpgs chris yeah so i happen to work at a manufacturing plant with the man the legend himself mr brooks um, so we get to talk about this stuff a lot, but um, I do still try to work in to the, pe- the people that I work with on the, the employees on the floor. I try to work in some some TTRPG stuff with them too sometimes. So right. you'll have a guy occasionally like walk into his his post, but oh, I, I spilled grease on the floor, so roll an acrobatics check. <laughs> Got him. So I do that, and then Brooks and I are actually um, we found a group of spiders that we're feeding bugs to, and we're raising them, and hopefully when they get big enough, we'll be able to use them for a low level CR encounter with some of the guys on the floor. So those are those are the two things I got cooking right now. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's about you, Steve. <sighs> Why did I ask you? <laughs> All right, um, mine, mine's not as flashy or as fun as you guys, but I have an extra D twenty that I actually brought to work. And so when I'm sitting on conference calls at my desk for a really long time, I'll just be like casually rolling it, just casually rolling it, kind of like uh, how like somebody who doesn't smoke cigarettes anymore has to like keep their hands busy. That's kind of like how I am at work. Just when I when I have to sit on the phone and, and just be like paying attention, I'm just absentmindedly rolling the d20. Um, and then like I don't know, that's pretty much it. I don't know. I don't have a, a whole lot of TTRPG experience at work. What I will say, there are some phenomenal people I work with that I'm good buds with that listen to our show and we talk about it every week. And uh, I get to tease out like. Oh man, this episode coming up's a rough one. You gotta wait a week for it, but it's bad. Like we're in trouble, and uh, really, really, really teasing with that. So, Chris, don't you guys have fate dice? Yeah, Brooks brought in a pair of fate. We had a d twenty and, and and did something similar, like to Steve. You know, we'd just roll it every now and then. But now Brooks brought in a pair of fate dice or the, a set of fate dice, and we roll it to see how our day's gonna go. <laughs> how have they been rolling so far? Uh, we have good days and bad days. It's really a mix. It's it is. It's been on par. It's it's, it's spooky. Really? Yeah, it's pretty accurate, I'd say. I oh, mean, oh no. Maybe I'm just. Uh, once you see the number, you're just a little biased towards that. You know, it's like a confirmation bias thing. But who knows? Yeah. I think it's always very fun. Like what I do for a living makes me have to use Excel a fuck ton. So mm. it's always fun to like create. Like you can create the the spreadsheets that auto calc everything for your characters and stuff. Uh, working with that for Tui a little bit, just because. I mean, right now we use Hero Lab obviously for everything, but Tui is so new. It's better to, in my mind, it's better to build a couple characters without the aid of stuff like an auto calcing sheet or create an auto calcing sheet because then you know the mechanics of how everything work absolutely yeah that's 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 how you should do it to learn a new system like don't rely on your technology too much unless you have to jump in and make like a high level character but you should know how shit works yeah i think i think we like hero lab because especially on the podcast it it just streamlines everything to a point where it's it's not taking up so much time yeah whoever edits the show has to really appreciate that yeah yeah but but yeah, I think I think traditional paper is nice when you're, especially when you're learning something, figuring it out for sure. And and Griff, you were talking about two E. Our next question is about two E. Oh, what a segue! Yeah, this comes from our good bud Alex Giordano. He's a great man. But seeing as it's Gen Con season, 
Oh, this question's old. It was Gen Con season. It was, it was Gen Con season when he asked this. Uh, what is the two ebook that you want Paizo to release first? For example, I love the horror guide, so that would be awesome in 2E, and I've always wanted an epic level handbook, levels 21 through 30. I know Myth kind of does that, but it's not the same. A little personal bias in there, Alex. This is a question segment, so uh, keep it together. I don't know. I'm just waiting for 2.5E with a pants gap. I guess that's a good point. <laughs> Rapidly working on it. Um, any money goes a long way. So, I think for me, I would love horror adventures to be converted. I really want the occult adventures to, yes. to make its way in. I know they're doing stuff with the advanced player guide. I'm really, I'm most excited to see how they implement the old tried and true 1e classes that aren't existing today uh i'd be super interested to hear what they change about like an occultist i also you know personal bias like if we could get the books for uh the the characters that we currently have it would be fun to make them again in 2e and see how that that runs for me the best part about first edition pathfinder is just the sheer amount of choices you have so i'm most excited for more player options Mm -hmm. as somebody that's likely going to run some 2e at some point though the the game mastery guide can't come soon enough i know it's it's only a couple months away and i'm excited to sink my teeth into that now that's the book where they said that you'll be able to use to convert 1e to 2e correct yeah and we we had a great question i think eric asked it on our on our subreddit, our hideous laughter that was what first edition adventure would you most want to see converted into 2E? I think mm-hmm. we're going to start seeing a lot more of that once the game, game Mastery Guide gets released. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I wonder if, you know, well, if, if Paizo doesn't do that themselves, I wonder if people are going to start doing that, converting APs and then releasing them just like... Like up up on like like a Pathfinder subreddit or something. Like, hey, I converted Skull and Shackles. Here you go. Like, I've already seen people start doing it with modules. So, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, wow. I think it's. I saw on the Pathfinder RPG subreddit. I think it's the. I can never remember the name. It's right before Crown of the Kobold King. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the first level piece of that kind of string of modules, and. Honestly, the dude did a super sick job, but it's not as hard as you think. It, it is you're going to have to flip back and forth with his conversion, but it's really cool. He took all of the all of the DCs, reworked them for second edition, built the monsters differently to work in second edition, either reskinned some existing stuff or made some custom stuff that again is a little homebrewy, but I still think is pretty cool. So all in all, I think it was only like four pages of text for an entire module, which is generally 30 to 50 pages long. That's insane. That's I, yeah, that has me very excited and kind of kind of, you know, I'm, I'm in anticipation a little bit. That's very exciting. Um, I want to see some of these older adventures, get some new life put into them. That'll be cool. Um, as for me, you're, you're right. Anything that gives more player options. Um, I know they're, putting out like their advanced player guide um, sooner rather than later. And they actually think it's like next year or something, but they're adding four more classes off the, the initial four, uh, like eight or however many there are. I don't remember, but so I, I want to definitely see more classes. I, I think I'd really be interested in seeing something um, 
kind of like how Starfinder does the alien archives, where it is a bestiary, but within that, they also provide a ton of new races built out for players. I think that would be really cool. Well, I think I'm I'm very curious to see how they handle like tieflings and Asimar mm-hmm. and oh, the, yeah. and the plain touched races because the way they handled half elves and half orcs is completely different than first edition. They're not really their own race now. So I'm curious if that's how they're going to handle that other stuff. I did. I was hearing that they're, they're kind of backpedaling on it, just being a human demon hybrid. And you can actually add those uh, race feats to any race. So you can be a, a gnome tiefling. If oh, you want to. that's so fucking cool. Griffin. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That'd be ridiculous. Like mechanically, you can be it now instead of just. Uh, I've always said, you want to run a tiefling, you want to be small. I don't give a shit. Yeah, do that. Yeah, but this makes it kind of more real. All right. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to like you. I'm, I'm right with you, Steve. The um, all the advanced class guide, advanced players guide, whatever gives more options because in Tui, multi-classing is just such a a different beast. Like there's the way you can go about it is is. I think it's. I think it's just a little bit smoother. We were talking about this. I think yesterday, Griffith. It's very elegant. I, yeah. I love what they've done with the basically kind of like an archetype system. Yeah, I, that's what I want to see too. I want to see more archetypes. <laughs> yeah, Cause absolutely. Because right now it's just the you know the multi-classing that exists in 2e but they have said they're gonna they're gonna do archetypes like there's a red mantis assassin instead of like a prestige class like it was in first edition. It's gonna be new like a new dedication oh wow okay yeah but anything that gives more classes so that you have more options to like take feats dedication feats and multi-class into i think it's just going to be great for the system yeah i am looking forward to it it's going to be cool whatever they put out is going to be exciting they've got some cool stuff in the pipeline of course i want to see more adventures but let's let's convert some of the old stuff and, and breathe some life into those old ones i'm actually really excited though for the second ap that's coming out Oh, the extinction plague, right? something like yeah. that. It's the one where you're all like carnies, which sounds right up our alley. Yeah, that would be fun as hell to play. I can't. And I think it. you're in Absalom, which yeah. is is cool because it's not super explored in any of the APs. Hmm. Yeah, that's going to be a wonderful. Um, we got more questions, guys. We got two more on the docket. You guys think you can hang for two more? Yeah, I could hang. That's I got a thing, but I'll. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. I'd have a beer. Is, is your is your thing continuing to be hungover and sitting in your apartment? Collecting more pants. All right. Got to keep them away from everybody else. Yeah. He's going to Goodwill after this. That's, Best bang for your buck. I'm stocking up. Yeah. All right. This next question comes from Bipolar Pop-Tart. Great name, by the way. Um, do you think the characters from both the good and evil campaigns could handle working together to go against a much bigger threat? I'm going to preface this by saying, I don't know how much bigger of a threat there is than like the Whispering Tyrant. Yeah. However, I'm very intrigued by this concept. I don't think that they could work together in any capacity whatsoever. Like I see it going down a very specific way, which is Eclipse, maybe with more of a corruption, meets this, you know, C is sort of attracted to this evil party and joins their side. And then that, that group lures... Uh, uh, Ikmer away and k- 
kills him immediately because it's, he's very gullible. It'd be very easy to learn away. <laughs> yeah. Hand him a cookie or something. Hand he's a cookie, dead. He's yeah. out. Yep. Matumbe would be way harder to take down, but I think if someone distracted him and saw came up behind him and and did floor his thing. attacked him. Yeah, yeah take him a tiger. Down. And then... So, so I would wipe the fucking floor with Matumbe. Yeah. And then that leaves Vivian to take Lyra and dissect her while she's still alive to figure out what makes her so good at singing. And at the end of game over after that, that's it. Well, then it's just Hell's Vengeance. Yes. <laughs> Campaign takes a hard left turn. Yep. So I have money on that. I don't know how you guys feel about their cooperation, but yeah, in in my mind, um, I I would never say anything's impossible. I love where your head's at, Chris, and a lot of that I don't disagree with. I think if there were a bigger threat or something that united the parties, I think it's technically possible. Um, I mean, you, you got to take into account that. If none of the four of the evil characters are undead, Matumbe probably wouldn't have a problem working with them because he's true neutral and knows that Eclipse is evil and doesn't have a problem working with her. That's true. Eclipse is evil, so okay, right? Igmer is gullible and Lyra could probably be pressured by the rest of the group to go along with it. So I think it's possible um, if the evil party like went full undead, I don't think it's possible, but who knows? I also think it would be really fun too to preserve like the four player um the four player piece of this to to, like kind of workshop thinking about like what two good characters you'd want to see paired up with what two evil characters oh to see like um dr viv and ed turner plus eclipse and matumbe or vice versa the nana opal saw with ikmer and lyra i think I mean, even if it's like not a canon adventure, I think that would be fun to see a for like a foursome of that. I think that'd be cool. I am the GM, so I know a lot of what's gonna happen. And these characters will meet each other. Pretty sure that's already obvious. But I think of all of the characters. Eclipse would be the first one that joins the evil party, joins them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a no brainer. Yeah. I, I just think that's easy. That's yeah. like she gets fully taken by the lopper. That's a great way to reintroduce her to the story. But honestly, I think they'd work together if the evil interlude characters get double crossed or something by the whispering way. Oh, that's a cool concept. I think they're evil and they would be out for vengeance. They'd easily take advantage of a group that has the same goals as them. The enemy of my enemy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Good guys, bad guys, team up. Storm Gallaspire. You know, four players playing eight characters. That would be, that'd be, that'd be super easy. Logistically super easy. Yeah, we'd be fine. (laughs) So I think I think it could happen. I like your idea of having different team ups. That would be really fun for a and we've had a couple of them now in the past, but a party split episode where everybody can still be at the table. Ooh. Like the party is split and they come upon Nana Opal's cottage. And Nana Opa and Saul are there and Ikmer and Lyra have like split up with the party for some reason. There's a lot of exciting options there. A lot of possibilities. Fun stuff to think about. Lots to chew on. 
Last time we talked about evil interlude characters, I mean, it's been a minute since we played them. We're almost coming up on a year of not playing these characters. Coming yeah, up on a Halloween, year. well, Christmas was the last time you played them. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, still, only, only about four months till you haven't played them for a year. I think our lovely fans and patrons are about to get us to the point where we're releasing some evil interlude content every other month, which will be very exciting. We're going to, we're going to have to get ready for that Griff. Yeah. I think we have to get ready. That's a big part of why we haven't really brought it back is because knowing that that's looming Mm -hmm. and that, you know, I don't want to run out of content for that, but it's very difficult to intersperse stuff that happened 10 years ago. When do you bring them to the present and that kind of thing? And I don't want to bring them to the present too fast and then uh, lose out on the opportunity to tell some of the story that happened in the 10 years before they're in the present. So, but I think you're going to see him in the regular game. Ooh, I don't know about that. (laughs) We'll see. All right. We got one more question, guys. This comes from Bear Claire, and it is our shortest question of all time. It's kind of vague. Two words. I'm not really sure what he's talking about. Why Ohio? Um, I guess work. Yeah, that's how that's how we all ended up here. Really, was work. But I don't know. I I enjoy Columbus. I like what? where we live. Why not Ohio? Yeah, exactly. What's wrong with Ohio, man? The pastry beer raises an interesting question, but, you know, I think there's a lot of good stuff in Ohio. You know, we have Wright Pat, so we're on, like, the list of nuclear strike targets, so you've got that going for you. Um, We're in the Rust Belt, so there's a lot of picturesque, like, decaying uh, rural communities. (laughs) And that also uh, opens up the possibility for some of that sweet, sweet meth that's been floating around everywhere, which is is another big sell, too. Um, And... Uh, in terms of like scenic places, you've got well, you know, draws. You've got the Browns, and you have Cleveland. So that's like a two for one type thing there that you get. I'm really glad we don't live in Cleveland. Yeah, <laughs> Cleveland's gonna hate us. Cleveland, the town sucks. Columbus, Sometimes we're not Cleveland. Cleveland. <laughs> we're not. That's yeah. the big route of Columbus, I guess. Yeah, it's the Cleveland is not Detroit, and Columbus is not Cleveland. Yeah. What are, what are you guys' thoughts on Cincinnati? I don't mind Cincinnati. Yeah, I had I'm a really cool good time. time. Yeah, when I'm I went cool there. Time, yeah, I was born there, so I automatically don't like it that much. Yeah, okay, I get yeah. You, I if get it you. produced you, it's yeah. That Agreed. Is, that should be a nuclear strike target then. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> so wait, why is Columbus a nuclear strike target? Columbus isn't. I think Wright Pad is definitely on the list. It's the Air Force Base that's close to Dayton. Oh, and we're close enough to be in the fallout. Like there, well, we 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 get some of that sweet sweet fallout if it we it were to be strucken. Okay, Fallout so. Five, New Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yep. I think I think it's great though. I like Columbus specifically is has great job opportunities. Cost of living is relatively low. I mean, I think I think if we lived in an area that was more expensive, it would have been hard to justify all of the you know expenses we spent up front to get this podcast up and running and stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, us living in New York, yeah, maybe we'd, you know, maybe I'd fire you guys and get some real voice talent. Well, yeah, you'd have, a, you'd have a lot more options out there. Your options were very low here. Yeah, so that's why you limited. got what you got. Yeah. 
get a lot of struggling theater types out there that just didn't make it. So they're looking right, for work. They're looking for work. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I actually like about Columbus is that um, it feels like the city is kind of laid out pretty logically. Like it's not one of those like old East Coast towns that every it's like super packed and windy yeah, streets. Yeah. Like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like traffic here realistically is never that bad. Like it get it gets shitty at times. But twenty minutes to get anywhere. Yeah, in Columbus. Twenty minute Easy. city, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to know? I, we have a lot of corn because we're in Ohio. Yep. Something I just learned that Brooks let me know about this week. Mm-hmm. A lot of the corn around here isn't edible. It's like feed corn. You can't you can't go into a field and just take an ear and eat it. It's bad for you. Like it's hard kernels or something like that. I'm gonna need Brooks to prove this. I'll uh, I'll see what I can do. I'll take him out to a field somewhere and he have him show knows. us. He knows a lot about ecological disasters. <laughs> <laughs> Working where you work. Yeah, it's a shithole. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Does anybody want to say anything else about Columbus? Decent beer. Don't knock it till you tried it, I think. Well, actually, one thing, one thing that I really experienced for the first time in Columbus was being a part of an election cycle where you're actually a swing state, which I found to be uh, much more exciting in, yeah. in my mind, just because it's like, I don't want to say, I will never say your vote doesn't matter because it always does, but it's cool being in a place where, yes, like it could go either way. And so like, I, th- I feel like it gives you a lot more incentive. Yeah, it, it certainly does. You actually want to learn things. It's like, if you're, if you're in California, like might as well just not vote. Cause like the state's going blue. If you're like living in Texas, might as well not vote. Cause the state's going red. Like, but here, like you should, and you should do this everywhere, but there's a, there is a lot of incentive to learn about politics and learn about the issues and where everybody stands on everything mm-hmm. because like we actually matter. Yeah. <laughs> there's definitely a lot of incentive out there to be actively engaged and attempt to vote multiple times in elections. Definitely in Ohio. <laughs> That's a crime. <laughs> <laughs> So you shit on your job, you shit on where you work, the shit American on the corn, system. shit on uh, <laughs> shit on Cleveland, and then you're talking about voter fraud. Do you need some toilet paper? Because you've been shitting all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of. I've offended probably a lot of people. That's why we have you on. Just another day in the life. Us. Hey, man, like. At least people will be talking about this episode. Not like that fucking wet blanket, Tim. <laughs> I love Tim. That was a good episode. It was a good episode, yeah. That one bird has been so fucking loud. Yep. On that note. <laughs> I'm not going to get into it. I had to sign a contract saying I couldn't talk about bird points for this episode. You did. That was a very binding contract, too. Yeah. All right. We What we could do, and we can cut this out, but... We could sign off now, and then you can talk as long as you want about bird points. And if yeah. people want to stick around and listen, they can stick <laughs> around and listen. Is What does everyone think of that? I'm okay with it. All right. So here's us signing off. If you want to hear more of Chris's ridiculous bullshittery, uh, don't stop the episode after we end it. He'll talk for a couple minutes, and we'll probably hang it up. So... Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Again, if people want to chat with you, you're available on our Discord. That's Krusty Crust. Um, 
a lot of fun having you around. Thank you for coming on here. It's been a blast. It's been long overdue, and we got to have you back soon. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Pleasure being here. This room, not the state, but here. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus. All right. I think the bigger question is, why Chris? Why Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Someone else will have to answer that. Later. Much later. Chris, you succeeded. You will save. Yes. You made that means I lied. Yes, yeah, so people have brought that to my attention. Get into it means that you could have lied. Yeah, you could have lied. Yeah, get into it on a later episode. Griffin, is there anything you want to tell the people at home? Nah, just thanks for being so supportive and keeping listening. We love you guys. Have a happy Labor Day, everybody, because that's when this drops. Enjoy your sh- shitty Labor Day party. Woo! All right. Well, I'm going to need you to finish your drinks, because we'll see you in two weeks. Later! But now we're going to talk yeah, about weird stuff. Right, now it's going to get weird. That's okay, get listen. So, if you read Tui carefully, and you have the uh, the first book before it was errated out, the first edition of the core rulebook, bird points are introduced almost on page one. There's the first section that um, says, like, you know, what is a role-playing game? The paragraph directly under that is, how do you use bird points? <laughs> What's a bird point? Yeah, what is a bird point? That is a great question. So, in mythic play, I believe, I believe this is the case, you get three bird points at the start of your morning. And you get to use these in an action economy. You get to spend bird points to be able to do certain things. And I, 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 wrote, I wrote up a whole bunch on it on the Discord, but, um, you know, you could spend one to three bird points uh, in your turn. Um, I won't get into the the details of what you can do because I think they're going to expand on it later. But just as a uh, just as a, maybe just as a taste, I spend one bird point and you glamour your armor with feathers, which you know is useful in some search, some situations. Kind of an action is that um, just one of your three actions in a it's, turn? You you say you, you expend your bird point as a move action, I okay. believe. Okay. So. Um, so a stride, a stride to use your bird point, <laughs> essentially. But um, now, if you use all three of your bird points, um, you gain the uh, move like or uh, uh, as as the crow flies move action, which means that you can move in a straight line directly. You can move through objects, you can move through walls because it's as the crow flies up to your move speed. Okay, so, so you don't have to worry about barriers. Yeah, Is so that you can just, just for one turn, just for one turn. Yeah, okay. I mean. You have to balance it somehow. Yeah. Um, now, in the bird points themselves, you can only have up to three at a time. Um, so, and you can't spend more than three. That's okay. that's a very important part, too. But to get bird points, normally, because you don't start out the day with any, you have to collect birds and convert them to bird points. Um, so, you, usually you scavenge for them. You find birds in bushes. Um, and the, the ratio is two birds in a bush equals one bird point in your hand. <laughs> of course it is. Makes sense. Yep. So, um, once you have collected, um, two birds, you can collect more birds, but it takes two birds for one point. If you, if you are a character with, uh, 14 strength or more, you can take the two birds in your hands and you can compress them together to form the bird point. <laughs> More like a bird patty. <laughs> yes. So you'll you'll have this formed bird point in your hand, and at that point you can use it however you want. Okay. And that's really that's really the brief explainer on them. Now, more guides, more stuff that comes out later. They'll be talking about bird points. They'll be giving you more options for using your bird points and stuff like that. But right now, I think it's a great it's a great action economy they've got. It's a great design. So what about stuff like like what I always 
feel like I'm in trouble if I played a druid mm -hmm. and I could wild shape into a bird. Mm -hmm. You want to be careful to let people know that you are wild shaped so that they don't try to convert you into a bird point. Would it be possible if somebody converted a wild shaped druid into yes. a bird point? It would be possible, but at the expense of the character, obviously. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I was thinking like so. I don't know when in the when what scenario that would be uh, like a tactical thing to do, but I suppose if you are in a spot of trouble and you really need to get feathers on your armor, you could do that if need be. Okay. Okay. Um, you you mentioned this two birds to one bird point ratio. Yes. Um, do you think they're going to you know errata that in the future or provide some sort of update and you know maybe a different type of bird could be converted in a different way or have a different a bird point effect? Like I'm thinking like if you have some normal sparrows like you get some decent you know you run of the mill bird points off there. Me throwing like an egret or something in there. That's a cool bird. I like what you're thinking. Uh -huh. I really like that because. Uh the more exotic type of birds could be used as different bird points. That's that's a totally that's a totally. Or if you crush uh, two penguins together, maybe like you get some like cold resistance. Yes, what a wonderful! You oh. should be designing this with me. We should we should be going in on this together. I wish we had converted Rune Lords into into second edition because mm -hmm. Peacock Manor that would have been. Yeah. I mean, peacocks are a relatively exotic bird. I feel like yes. those would have been great bird points. They would have been great. Now, does the size of the bird like mm. say I found an ostrich? Mm -hmm. Would that create more bird points or would it just be a bird point that costs more bulk I, I think it would be a bird point that costs more bulk and i think the way that they would balance the more exotic birds is that you have to have a higher strength to be able con to convert the point uh -oh. the birds into the point so an ostrich you might need like 16 or 18 strengths to be able to do that so with this system have barbarians become way more powerful than they were before yes absolutely barbarians would be key a lot of people roll with clerics currently like in 1e and stuff but like in within this scenario you would roll with the barbarian most every party would have a barbarian for this purpose of converting points for some of the weaker characters can, oh, okay. you, can you loot a dead character or enemies bird points so is there a situation where i start my day i get my three bird points i uh defeat a boss that had two bird points on him and mm -hmm. i and if i had not used my three bird points i now have five they should shouldn't be transferable, but currently there's nothing in the rules that say you can't do that. Okay. So that's technically possible. Is that why they have the caveat there that you can't spend more than three? Yes. Because if oh. you, yeah, I think that's the way that they've kind of gotten around that. Because if you had, if you only start the day with three, it's not possible to spend more than three unless you're looting bodies for bird points. Mm -hmm. An important thing to note too, is that sometimes you'll come across unborn bird cocoons and those are not able to be converted to bird points. You have to wait for the bird to sprout from the, the cocoon to <laughs> co convert it. Now, a baby bird can still be converted, and you get the same effect, but um, when it's in its cocoon, um, th those don't count. Does it have to be the same type of bird if you're combining two birds? Can you combine a baby sparrow and an ostrich? You can, but it defaults to the uh, the lesser of the two birds. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but I get why they do that from a balance thing, so it makes sense. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I, I really hope um, a lot more people um, find out about this and begin adopting it in their games, because I think it's a very versatile mechanic. Now, we talked about one bird point and three bird points, but what does spending two get you? Um, I believe you spend two bird points um, whenever you are, um, for, for the, I think maybe it's 10 minutes or so, but whenever you are using, you're behind a bush, and that bush has at least two birds in it, you gain cover or concealment. Wait. So you have to get yourself behind a bush, check to make sure there are birds in it, then mm -hmm. use two bird points and you get concealment or cover. Yes. 
But if you Seems already like have... like a lot to get a small bonus. <laughs> there are, it's tactical. There's places where it's effective. If you have birds in your hand already, you can put the birds in the bush and then hide behind it. So that works too. So if you have birds already, you can use them for this. I think it's that a real a missed sense. opportunity that yeah. they didn't include any feather fall effect in the in the bird point spending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you think yeah, you that think that's seems... an easy win, but yeah. I, yeah. I think they probably wanted to avoid the low hanging fruit. Hopefully, in future editions, they'll have something there. Um, I think they wanted they wanted to because it wasn't really something that was in the play test. It was definitely a, like I don't know if it was a last minute ad, but I think maybe they're still trying to see how it balances. I think they got APs. rid of the resonance points, added yes. in the bird points. Yes. I, I, I believe so, too. Jason Bowman was just like, oh, we need more birds in this system. Birds. Yeah. And less pants. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, and there, there, it, another way they balance it is that there are other creatures who do actively seek out um, birds as well, too. Like some types of dragons look for birds as well. Um, and a lot of times, you know, a dragon, like something wakes up in the morning, you know, that's, that's a good time to search for birds. So a lot of times the early worms get the birds. Is it dangerous if you're a... That's such a good pun. If you're a worm that walks, is it dangerous to use bird points? Um, I would say so. Um, I would say that because of how... I, I, one of the, I think one of the big reasons is because of how effective worms that walks templates are. Mm-hmm. Bird points are a way to counteract that because um, someone who is using bird points, I think gets buffs to fighting worms that walk and other worm based yeah. creatures. But it's important to realize to characterize that the dragon worms, like the worms or whatever, mm-hmm. those are those aren't affected at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. The worm with a Y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Those one the 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 early ones of those that get the birds what we're talking about. Ah. So yeah. That's just a very brief explainer on bird points and uh I'm just really excited to see what other content they come out with. I'm looking forward to playing a game at some point where we actually use this system. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be sure to fuck up my action economy by <laughs> running behind a bush, <laughs> placing two birds into it, <laughs> then crushing two bird points, uh, and then getting a small boost <laughs> to my AC or a small concealment <laughs> chance. Yes. <laughs> yeah, be sure to take your bird lore to be able to do all this. Yeah. <laughs> lore bird smashing. <laughs> wow. Thank you guys for having me. This has been wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Chris, you're never coming back. I'm just <laughs> <never coming back. laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, that was a lot of fun. Again, anybody listening that doesn't know Pathfinder is so confused right now. <laughs> they shouldn't be listening if they don't. I don't think that's even a prereq. I think everybody's confused. <laughs> Jason Bowman's confused. He won't answer any of my emails. <laughs> this guy's emailing me again. This Krusty Cross from Columbus, Ohio. Krusty Cross, not affiliated at all with the Hideous Laughter podcast. I just want to be clear. <laughs> yeah, make that delineation. Make that very apparent. Okay. It's time to go home. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.